Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You love us perfectly, unfailingly. Your love for us is always 100%. And nothing can change that. And Father, we rest in your love this morning. We are refreshed and strengthened by your love for us this morning. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for quickening us this morning. We recognize that you are the same Spirit that raised the Christ from the dead. And that when we put our faith in the risen Christ, you came to live in us. And that our Spirit is united with you. That we are one with you, Spirit of God. And that right now you're in us giving life to our mortal bodies, giving strength to us, giving us insight, revelation of the Christ, giving us wisdom for the decisions we need to make in our lives. And we thank you for that. We're living life in you and with you. We are never alone. Never. Never alone. And we will not entertain thoughts like that. Because you are our God. And you are with us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We ask you to uh, minister life to us right now through the spoken word and the written word. And Father, by your Spirit, to break bondages. To minister healing and life as only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love ping pong. You guys are awesome. Can we, uh, can we get that ping pong ball just in case someone grab that ping pong ball? It makes me want to play is what it wants me to do. It makes me want to... Because it's, it's no, no secret that I'm like a champion ping pong player, so... Awesome. That's not true, but I do like to play ping pong. <laughs> Hallelujah. Angelina, how are you, sweetie? Didn't Angelina do a great job last week? It was awesome. We're going to get back into our series. We started a few weeks ago with transformation. And then uh, Jen Tringale was here. And then we picked it up again. And then we had uh, Easter Sunday last Sunday. So this is part three of our transformation series. Because this is a year of transformation. And we, in, we invite you to put your saddle on and get, get ready for uh, transformation this year. It's, it's already happening if you've been plugged in and if you've been yielding to the Holy Spirit. You know, it's really not about trying harder. It's about yielding to Him. Amen. It's about yielding to the Holy Spirit and letting Him be God in your life. Letting Him love you and be the very strength that you need in your life. We cannot transform ourselves. I don't care what plan you're on or what best-selling book you're reading. You can't do it. 
And there is no one on this earth that can transform you other than the Holy Spirit. And God is, God is about loving you into a whole new life. A life that's beyond what you've ever dreamed of. A life that is beyond what you can imagine. A life of wholeness. A life of joy unspeakable and full of glory. A life of peace that can't be taken away and can't be shaken. And that's what happens when we allow Him to transform us. And allow Him to bring about the change that He wants to bring about in our lives. And in our series, Transformation, we said this, that, that transformation comes about when we embrace and learn and grow in two things. The nature of God and the ways of God. Those can be very foreign to us even if we've been in church our whole lives. Oftentimes we mistake religious tradition for the ways of God. And sometimes they're in uh, opposition to each other. So if you're willing to let go of any doctrines you might have or any tradition that you might have and replace it with the person of Christ, then transformation will take place in your life. So that's what I want to exhort you to do. Let's put Romans 12, verse 2 up there. And remember, we're not reading a book. We're receiving the living Word. God's Word is alive. Thank God for this written book. And I, I would not want to be a day on earth without it. It's a life source to me, but it's not the paper and the ink on the pages. It's the, the, the life that is in these words. It's alive and it's powerful and it's quick and it separates soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And it, 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 it reveals to me how good the Father is and who I am in Him and what He's done for me. So let's receive the word. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't be changed from the outside pressure of this world. But be transformed by the inward power of the Holy Spirit. By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hallelujah. We know it's important to understand and it's important to, to uh, spend time meditating on this reality that you are a spirit. That there are three parts to who we are. It shouldn't be foreign to us, again, but most of us haven't learned this growing up. But the real you is a spirit. And that's not a weird New Age concept. That's how you, you are made in the image of God. God is a spirit. And you have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you're living in a body, a physical body. Your soul is where the battle is. Yeah. Your emotions, yeah. the devil's after your, your thought life, yeah. your mind. Because if he can occupy your thought life, then he can control the direction of your life. Because what you keep in your mind long enough will eventually become something that you believe. And it'll start coming out of your mouth, and your mouth is the rudder of your life that dictates the direction you're going. So if I feel alone in life, and I begin to meditate on that, and I think no one understands me, 
That's, you may not realize it, but that's a dark thought. That's a thought the enemy will trap you in. All of us have felt alone in life. All of us have felt like no one understands us. But the Bible helps us in, to realize that we're all in the same boat. Says that, that, that uh, we are not tempted beyond what we can bear or beyond uh, what anyone else has been tempted. That we're all going through the same stuff, basically, to one degree or another. Common to man. That's the phrase in the scriptures. Uh, by such as is common to man. So, but the devil doesn't like that because that sets you free. If, if I can say my problem's worse than anybody else's, I feel justified in staying in my problem. Right? If I can say no one understands me, what I'm doing, I'm elevating myself. Right? Right? I'm focusing on myself. It's not true. You might, you, you might be surprised to find there are people who had it much worse than you and came out in much more victory than you did. So the truth is you're not alone. God is with you. Don't ever allow that thought to have any time in your mind anymore. God is with me. Doesn't matter if there's anyone else in the room. Doesn't matter if there's anyone else in my workplace or in my family or in, on this planet. God is with me. With God, I can leap over a wall. I can run through a troop. I can do whatever needs to be done because he's with me. Amen. So your mind is where uh, the battle is. The thoughts that you allow to stay there. All right? Your mind, we said early in the series, is a passageway between your spirit and the rest of your life. So if I allow wrong thinking in my mind, let's say I believe that I'm alone and that no one can relate to me. It's a very common thought, right? I may be born again. I may be saved. And if you're born again, the Holy Spirit's in you, right? Yes, yes. It's the moment you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes. But if I keep this thought of that I'm alone and no one understands me in my mind, it blocks the life of Christ in my spirit from flowing through my soul into my body and into the rest of my life. Wrong thinking blocks the life of God from flowing in us. So important to understand that. And, and then we persist in our wrong thinking and we get mad at God. God can't change your thinking. People say God can do anything. Well, in one sense, that's true in terms of his power and his wisdom. But in another sense, it's not true. He's limited in what he can do in our lives because we have a free will. Amen. We have to choose to agree with him. Yes. And it, it, sometimes that's a battle internally because we've held on to junk for so long, we don't want to let go of it. And God's wanting to, to flood into our lives and make us whole, but we're holding on to our junky thinking. Yeah. It's time to let go of that. Right. It's time to let go of it so the life of God in our spirit can flow from our spirit into every part of our lives. And what unclogs that passageway is replacing wrong thinking with God's thinking. Yes. Only you can do that in your lives. I just, 
I just like to be real with you, and I'm not singling anybody out, but in, in ministry for uh, many years, and oftentimes I'll just minister to someone, and they're going through something, and the Holy Spirit will uh, give me something to share with them, certainly scriptures, but sometimes it's a book. And I'll say, listen, I, I'd like you to read this book. And it's a, it's a Bible study book. Usually it's a book on, on some aspect of God. And they'll say, okay. And, and then, you know, I'll end up talking to them later. And, and they're worse than they were the last time I talked to them. And I said, well, how's, how's the book coming along? Ooh, well, I, I haven't read it. How are those scriptures coming along? Listen, you're the only one that can put truth in your mind. God can't do it for you. You're the only one. You're the only one that can put truth in your mind. You are strong enough to stand against lies. You can accept them or you can reject them. It's totally up to you. And sometimes people get mad at, at, at a, another person trying to help. <laughs> but we're just limited in what we can do. We can present life to you. We can encourage you in the word. But you've got to make a decision. I'm going to embrace what yeah, God says. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to throw in the trash yeah. this wrong thinking I've been holding on to for so long. So we've got some stuff to throw in the trash this morning. Are you ready? We started this series by looking at God as light. He's light and he's life. So let's go to 1 John 1.5. Look at a few scriptures on the nature of God. We want to embrace the nature of God and the ways of God and replace anything in our thinking that's contrary to those so that passageway is opened up inside of us for his life to flow into every area of our lives. 1 John 1.5 says this, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. Who's him? Jesus. John was with Jesus. John laid his head on Jesus' chest as they had supper together. This is that John. He said, well, I've heard this message from him. I'm announcing it to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. What is darkness? Anxiety, fear, confusion, sickness, lack, all of the above, right? In Him there is no darkness at all. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. John chapter 8, the Jesus that John is talking about in the verse we just read. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When you embrace the light of Jesus, you will be repulsed by darkness. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if that's right English, but in other words, darkness is like, I don't want anything to do with it. It's just, right. uh-uh. I don't want it. Right. I don't want it in my life. It's, it's not like, oh, I have to give this. It's like, I don't want it. Right. It's repulsive to me. That's right. Light and life is what we're all about. 
I don't have this scripture uh, on, in the notes back there, guys, but I'd like to read it anyway um, in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. We're talking about the nature of God, that he's light. And then we're going to look at uh, uh, an area of scripture that's been grossly uh, mistranslated that has kept people in bondage. And we're going we're to get to that, but first we want to look at the nature of God. Matthew chapter 7. Okay, one more page. There we go. There's my 7. All right. This is Jesus talking. Remember, he's light. He's pure light. He's 100% light. He's 100% life. There's no darkness in him, no confusion, no anxiety, no fear, no lack, no sickness. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, says, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. So what's our role in this? To ask, to seek, right? For everyone that, that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Now listen closely to verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, What man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will give him a stone? I've never met a person that said, That's me. I'll do that. No. Or if he ask a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Mm -mm. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Light and goodness go together. If we're going to understand the nature of God, we've got to study Jesus. Jesus is the nature of God in the flesh. If you want to understand the Old Testament, you have to study Jesus. Yeah. If you want to understand the epistles in the New Testament, you've got to study Jesus. You have to read every word in the Bible through the revealed nature of God found in Christ. Hebrews says he never changes. Yeah. You know that God is the same in the Old Testament? He's a, he didn't change. That's right. What changed? The covenant right. that man required from God. Amen. Boy, I was thinking about, you know, that God's system, God never wanted there to be kings over, over people. Yeah. That wasn't God's plan. God's people insisted that they give him a, a, a human being for a king. He said, I want to be your king. They said, no, we want an earthly king like yeah. other nations. Yeah. When you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll see it in the New Testament too, you'll see gross hardness of heart. That's right. So when you're reading the Old Testament, you say, How, whoa, whoa, what happened there? It's the hardness of man's heart. God is limited in what he can do in our lives. It's all based on what we're willing to believe. Jesus could not do the mighty works he wanted to do in his hometown because they wouldn't recognize him as the Messiah. Because of their unbelief, the scripture said. Here's Jesus wanting to heal people. I want you to imagine, and I do this often, imagine Jesus standing in the flesh right here today wanting to heal people in this room, but he could not do it because of their unbelief. The scriptures record that for us. 
You look at the people who came to him for healing, and he'd often say, what is it you want me to do for you? We want to receive our sight. What they say? He'd say, according to your faith, be it done unto you. In other words, you've got to choose to accept me as I am, to embrace my light and my life, to know that I am good and my mercy endures forever. So we're going to read some scriptures, but don't forget the light of God, the light and nature of God. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. It's no different in the Old Testament, no different in the New Testament. What has changed is the hardness of man's heart and the covenant that we have. Are you ready? We're going to go to the first verse I think I ever memorized. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. And then we'll go on from there. 5, 6, we might get into 7 and 8 too. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is my 1989 verse. (laughs) Trust in the Lord with all your heart. First verse I ever wrote in my little notebook to memorize. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If God is not 100% light, 100% life, 100% good, it is impossible to trust him. If he's 99% light and 99% good, you can't trust him. You can't. Bible faith is defined as being sure and certain. Hebrews 11.1. We can't be sure and certain We can't trust God in all our ways if he's not totally good. In all your ways, acknowledge him. If you study that word, it means to know him in all your ways, to confess him, to affirm him, to declare him in all your ways, and he shall direct your paths. You ready for this, the Passion Translation? Trust in the Lord completely, because he's completely good. And do not rely on your own opinions. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) With all your heart, rely on him to guide you. And he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him. And whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. For wisdom comes, listen to this, wisdom comes when you adore him with awe and wonder. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? To adore him in awe and wonder. So if you're frustrated this morning, begin to adore him in awe and wonder. Just begin to worship him and adore him and say, thank you, Lord, for who you are. You are 100% light and life. You are good in all your ways. You're perfect in all your ways. You're merciful. You're kind and gracious. You're everything I could ever want and so much more, and I worship you. 
But what about my husband? Just keep praising him. Just keep praising him. What about my wife? She doesn't understand me. Just keep praising him. Keep praising him. Keep praising him. Hallelujah. What if we would live our lives in awe of him? You have to cultivate that, right? You have to cultivate your adoration of him. You do. You have to practice it. Because for years we gave our attention to whatever made the loudest noise in our lives, right? And God's not like that. He's not loud and obtrusive. He's peaceful and gentle. So you've got to train yourself to stop reacting to the loud noises in your life and start responding to the still small voice of his spirit inside of you. Hallelujah. How about the message translation? Trust God from the bottom of your heart. (laughs) Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen to God's voice, not the noise of this world. Listen to God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Look at verse 8. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. You see, it's, it's very profitable to cultivate adoration of the Father. To practice living in awe of Him. And it, it, it brings health to us. What's the alternative? Being stressed? Thinking it all depends on me? Anxiety, fear, pride. There's a lot of alternatives to it. But if I can... Accompanied by nervous behavior such as pacing back and forth, somatic complaints, and rumination. Should I keep going? No, thank you. Siri just defined anxiety for us. How about that? That's a first. <laughs> I just hit, I just put on the do not disturb. Does that shut Siri off? I don't know. Thank you, Siri. That was great. That was great. That's it. She, she nailed it. That's, that's, that's anxiety right there. <laughs> Cultivating this, this mindset of adoring him. There are many temptations, uh, many opportunities to, to give our attention to other things during the day. And Satan wants you to think if you don't, if you don't give your attention to these things, it's going to get worse. If I don't address these things and if I don't give it my all and try harder and, and, try, and try and fix this situation, it's going to get worse. It's wonderful what happens when you let go. And let God be God in your situation. We did a book in our get-together some time ago called uh, Live the Let Go Life. Excellent book by Joseph Prince. That's really the life we're called to. This life of leaning on him. Letting him flow through us. Adoring him and worshiping him. And Satan hates that. 
because he wants you to think it all depends on you and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. But no matter what situation, no matter how urgent a situation is, adore him. Cultivate it now when there's nothing clamoring for your attention. Cultivate this adoration now. It will become a response. Okay, I just listened to the Holy Spirit. I'll share a time with you when Jennifer raised Dana from the dead. Uh, we had just moved into our, our home in, in Dighton in September 2008. And our, our little daughter was just approaching her second birthday. So she was about 22 months old. And we, we had gotten in our new home, and it was uh, late, I think Labor Day weekend or somewhere around there. And that we had the screen doors open, and just, and I, w- I wasn't there at the time, but Jennifer was just having a great time. The kids were having a great time. We're just cleaning the house, and uh, we have two sliding doors in our living room that go out to a deck, and then a, a brick patio, and then some koi ponds. And Jennifer was cleaning for a while, and she looked around and didn't find Dana. And she was pretty quick by that point at 22 months, she could get around. And uh, she called upstairs, the kids, no one knew where Dana was. Well, she walked out of the screen doors and she saw Dana floating face down in the koi ponds. And you know it doesn't take long for anyone to drown, let alone a little one. And we don't know how long she had been there. But she was floating motionless face down in the koi ponds. And the first thing that Jennifer did is began to worship God. As our children dying prematurely is not an option. Prior to that ever happening, we began cultivating this adoration of the Father many, many years before that. Began declaring that, that, that we are in Him, that we dwell in His shelter, that no harm or evil shall ever befall us. So Jennifer began to worship Him, and she picked Dan up out of the water by the feet and just began to praise God. The idea that she would not live again never, <laughs> was never allowed to enter, enter our lives. And she began to worship God and she began to <laughs> shake Dana, and, and she took Dana inside, wrapped her in a towel, and Dana began coughing and came back. They we're talking about cultivating an attitude of worship. Amen. We raise the dead right. when we cultivate attitudes of worship. Right. How powerful is it to develop a mindset of God being light and life, even when death would like to sell you something? You say no and you begin to worship him. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. God is 100% light. He's 100% life. He's 100% good. If he's not, we can't trust him. Are you ready? We're going to address something that I've heard in the body of Christ more times than I would like. But it's this idea that God puts things on us like sickness or disease or tragedies to keep us humble or to teach us something. Nothing could be further from the truth because he's 100% light. He's 100% love. He's 100% good. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. So no matter who it is, and I've heard decorated ministers declare this from their pulpits or their ministries online or in person that they had, they, you know, God did this in their lives to humble them because of their great calling and, 
And he had to show them how to depend on him. And they say that's in the Bible. But it's not. You won't find it in there. If you, if you read the Bible with a twisted uh, filter of wrong thinking, you could maybe see it in there. But let's look at this right now because we want to be transformed. And the only way you're going to be transformed is you know how good God is. You can't give God your situations and your life if you're not convinced that he's good. How can I give my whole self to a God that's going to that's uh, poison me with a disease? What kind of God would, would make man in his image and then inject illnesses into that person? What kind of twisted, perverted thinking is that? It's not from the Holy Spirit. So people will say, well, he did it to Paul. Did he? Well, let's look in the Scriptures. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The famous Paul's thorn passage, right? Yeah, he had to humble Paul because Paul had this great calling on his life. So God had to give him that eye disease or whatever disease they say it is because he just had to be humbled. What a, what a dark concept of God. What a broken, twisted, demonic concept of God. Satan is the author of these ideas. Satan is trying to keep us from seeing the 100% light of Christ. We're going to see that in the Word today. We're going to start in chapter 11, the famous verses in chapter 12, but we'll get there. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, right? We know him. This is a man who uh, was persecuting severely Christians, the church, as Saul, right? A, 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 a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, one of the, the Pharisee of the day. Right? Highly trained, excelled in his profession above everyone else. And on his way to Damascus, Christ appeared to him. And that was the end. Now, now, Saul had an attitude when Christ spoke to him. He said, who are you, Lord? So we could see, even in Saul's confusion prior to giving his life to Christ, he did have a reverence for God. And he didn't want to know him. He was just confused. So when God actually spoke to him, his heart responded to him. And he ended up transforming the world through Paul, right? Ended up writing most of the New Testament. And he gave us the finished work revelation of Christ that we don't see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as clearly. So the epistles are very important that Paul wrote and James and John and Peter and Jude. Who did I miss? Anybody in there? And whoever else wrote them. <laughs> Verse 1. Here he is. He's talking to the Corinthians. And if you understand the history of the Corinthians church, it's always good to understand the context of what's being said. The context really is everything. If you take a statement out of context, chances are it's going to be misunderstood. So people do that quite frequently with the Bible. Well, the Bible says... And they'll say something, and yes, those words are in the Bible, but they're using them out of context. Okay? So you understand the context gives us the meaning. So the, the Corinthian church, they were the most carnal church that I can see in the Scriptures. Very carnal Christians. Sexually immoral. Getting, getting drunk. Just, just, and remember, this was a, they were new. This whole idea of the church was new in the earth. 
They weren't like us who have a whole, they didn't have this. They had the letters and they had the Old Testament scriptures, but these letters were circulating. They, weren't, they didn't have what we have today. Okay, so this was a brand new thing. They're coming out of bondages. They're coming out of pagan worship. It, it was just a, a mess. So we don't be too hard on them, but they, they weren't in 2021 with a hard copy Bible of all 66 books and had all the great teaching and preaching we have today. Okay? So Paul is uh, correcting them, and if you'll read through Corinthians, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, I love the way he does it. In the midst of their gross sin, he tells them who they are in Christ. He says, do you not know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that's how God corrects us. He tells us who we are in Christ. He doesn't beat us down. See, humility comes when you accept who you are in Christ, when you receive God's word as it is. That's what humility is. So he's writing, he's correcting the church, and they're basically, now you got to, I, I try and put myself, here it is, the book of Acts, the, 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 the new church is born, new covenant of God. Jesus ascended the Father, Holy Spirit's come, and, and then, you know, Acts is about 30 years from what I understand. The book of Acts takes place over a period of about 30 years. But you got to understand, this takes time for people to know what's going on. Even to come away from the, the practices of the Old Testament, from pagans to come out of their pagan worship. And what are you talking about, this guy rising from the dead? Who's this? What do you mean? And so there's a lot happening here. Well, there were, there were a lot of people that were taking bits and pieces of the gospel and preaching their own gospel. And some of them were saying, well, I'm, I have more authority than Paul. I'm more of an apostle than he. Or, you know, competition, all that kind of silliness. So Paul's addressing this in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. He says, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. You'll find Paul is very sarcastic, facetious in his writings. So don't take him too literally. He's having fun here. It's good to laugh, right? Don't take everything so seriously. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. The simplicity of God's light. Of his 100% goodness. The simplicity that is in Christ. Amen. Don't let anything pull you away for the simplicity of the goodness That's of God. Right. That's right. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So they were receiving all kinds of messages. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Some translations say the super apostles. So he begins comparing himself to these super apostles in verse, uh, verses 6 through 22. For time's sake, we're not going to read all that. We want to get to the next section here. He begins describing his conduct as evidence of his calling. Okay, he, he's, he's uh, 
he's revealing to them the calling of God upon his life. Then in verses 23 through 29, he begins to list the persecutions that he's gone through for preaching the simplicity that is in Christ. Verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? Talking about these super apostles. I speak as if insane. I more, I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Can't even imagine that. Five times. Why'd they do 39? Because they thought 40 was fatal. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. No one knows what I've been through. Hello. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. Whew, those are the worst right there. <laughs> I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Why? He was following God's leading in his life to preach the gospel in a hostile world. Apart from such external things, these are, those are all external, by the way. <laughs> there is the daily pressure on me of concerns for all the churches. Verse 29, who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is made to stumble? I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. And people say, ah, there it is. Paul had a sickness. He just said infirmity. Well, you understand, in all languages, words have multiple meanings. And you study what the use of the word and what it means by the context of the word. Infirmity can mean a sickness, but in this context, you'll see he is talking about his inability to produce results. His weakness that he was lacking strength in all of these situations. Right. He couldn't get through them without the grace of God. Right. He is not talking about a physical sickness. We're going to see that. It, the, just keep reading the Bible. So I can, I can talk about weakness and, or infirmity. I may be talking about a sickness, or I might just be talking about my lack, a lot, area of lack in my life or my inability to accomplish something. The only way you can know what I mean is what, what is the context that I'm speaking in. He just lists briefly what he went through. All right? And he says, I'm going to boast in all these things which concern my inability. In other words, I didn't get through these things on my own. I'm not blowing my own horn. All right? Let's keep reading. Where are we at? Verse 30. Okay, so now let's get into the famous chapter here. Well, here's a, let me give you another translation. Put the New American Standard up there. This will help you. It's good to read multiple translations. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Does that make more sense? Same word. You can say infirmity or weakness. Same thing. Hallelujah. Let's see here. I'll make sure I don't skip it. 
All right. So Paul, we're going to see, is a very humble man. All right? Very humble man. He's, he's showing us that he could not get through what he got through without the grace of God in his life. Uh, chapter 12. For time's sake, let's go to verse 7. Basically, in verses 1 through 6, he continues to tell of the credentials of his apostleship. All right? He, he's, he's boasting in the Lord. He's not arrogant. He's boasting in what God has done in his life. Verse 7 of, of chapter 12, he says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. See, there it is. Flesh means body. He's sick. In all languages, there are figures of speech to communicate something metaphorically. If you take them literal, you're going to get really confused. We're going to explain this. Stay with me. A thorn in the flesh is a figure of speech. But I don't even have to know that. I can just keep reading. <laughs> a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of God the Father. Is that what the Scripture says? What do the actual Scriptures say? A messenger of Satan. Is Satan our father? Before we knew Christ, he was. If you're not born again, Satan's your father. It's my privilege to let you know that. So I would change your family real fast if I were you and put my faith in Christ. Everybody is not God's child. That's the, the world's idea of religion. We're all God's children. No, we're not. We rejected God and Satan became our daddy. And he's a cruel father. When you put your faith in Christ, you're taken out of that family and you're brought in to the family of the one who is perfect light, life, and love. So this thorn in the flesh is a messenger of Satan. Do God and Satan work together? Well, I've heard many ministers claim that. That God uses Satan to accomplish his purposes in the earth. Jesus, got to go back to Jesus again. He said, uh, they accused Jesus of that, right? That he, he, you, you're doing what you're doing by Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, by Satan. He said, well, if that's the case, then his kingdom's divided, and a divided kingdom can't stand. So if God and Satan are working together, guess what? God's kingdom is divided, and it's going to fall apart. And I don't want to be a part of a kingdom like that. But the truth is, we're part of an unshakable kingdom. Because God is not using Satan for anything. Satan is an adversary and against God. God has no use for him or need of him. God has his spirit and, and, and his people who believe in him and angels who minister to us. So this is a messenger from Satan. And why did Satan send this messenger into Paul's life? Well, he tells us to buffet him. To buffet him, lest I should be exalted above measure. How did they buffet him? Well, we read it in chapter 11, right? Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. That was because of that messenger of Satan was inciting people against Paul. You need to know flesh and blood are not your problem. There are spirits of darkness trying to stop you from fulfilling your destiny. Everything we read there in verses 
23 through 29 or 30, that was the result of this messenger of Satan following Paul everywhere he went, or a lot of places he went, not everywhere, a lot of places he went, you will see that riots broke out. That there was uh, this anger incited against him. And he was times where he was beaten and stoned and whipped and all kinds of things. That's what this messenger of Satan was doing in Paul's life to keep Paul from being exalted above measure. Concerning the thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And God said to him, no, Paul. Is, that in the, is there a no in the Scriptures anywhere there? Why do people teach that? That God said, no, I need to humble you, Paul. It's not in there. I don't care what translation you read, what, what text you, it's just not there. There's no no there. God answered him with a resounding affirmation. He said, my grace is all over you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your inability. So imagine Paul going through what he went through. I'd be crying out to God too. God help me. You know? And God says, my grace is upon your life. You're coming through this in victory. An excellent book I recommend to, on this subject is written by Kenneth E. Hagan. It's on the subject of suffering. And it's, I think it's called Must Christians Suffer is the name. I, I don't remember the title. I think that's what it's called. Must Christians Suffer by Kenneth E. Hagan. And in that book, he talks about two types of suffering. One type of suffering is the suffering in which Christ was our substitute. All right, of course, that would be his arrest, his persecution, his scourging, his death, burial, right? All of that, Jesus was our substitute. What, what Jesus bore, we are not to bear. What did he bear? Well, Isaiah says he bore our sicknesses, he bore our diseases. He bore our punishment. He bore our sins. We are never to bear those things. They're not for us. The other type of suffering is the suffering in which Christ was our example. What type of suffering is that? Persecution for righteousness' sake. That type of suffering you're going to face. There's no uh, exemption from that. You're going to be persecuted for following Jesus. That we, can, we know. Don't mix the two up. All suffering is not the same. Sickness, disease, condemnation, guilt, lack. Jesus bore all that. That was a part of the curse of sin. We are not to bear that. Now, persecution for following God, we know that's, that's, that's part of, that comes with the territory. Right? You understand that? Get a hold of that. Train yourself to, to recognize the difference. It's free online. What did you do? Just Google it? Yeah, we found this, I didn't know, that we, we Googled the title of this book, another one, book by him, In Him, it's called In Him, and the e-book came up free online. It's like, whoa, boom, start reading it. So you can Google, Must Christians Suffer, by Kenneth E. Hagan, and the e-book comes up, you can read the thing right there for free. It's not a long book, I don't, it's, it was a thin one, but it's, it'll set you free. Um, same thing with In Him is another great little booklet by him, it teaches you who you are in Christ. Um... Let's keep reading here. Sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect. Now, the word sufficient in the Strong's concordance, when he says my 
grace is sufficient for you, it has this connotation of raising a barrier to ward off evil. Paul needed protection. In one situation, he needed raised from the dead. Do you remember that? Where he was left for dead and the believers surrounded him and prayed for him and he got up and went on to the next city. I hope you're reading your Bible. Right? So this term sufficient is very powerful. It's this idea, in other words, God says, I'm raising up a barrier around you to ward off the evil around you. Now, this term thorn in the flesh, Paul was a Bible scholar, top in his field. It's a term that was used in the Old Testament. Okay, we're going to look at these scriptures. It was used as a metaphor never for sickness. Never. It was used as a metaphor for a person or a group that would persecute God's people. Say that again. This term that Paul used, Bible scholar, thorn in the flesh, was a metaphor, a figure of speech, used in the Old Testament to refer to people that would persecute God's people. Numbers 33. We'll look at a couple examples here. Maybe three examples. How we do? we still awake? Is this snoozy? Or is this good? Is this good? This is life-changing. Numbers 33, verse uh, 55. Here's the figure of speech coming up again. Now, Paul knew these scriptures, right? But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, this is God speaking to his people, Inhabitants were the people living there, not diseases. Inhabitants, people. Are you with me? If you do not drive out the people of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. Were they literally sticking in their eyes? Of course not. You know God uses figures of speech? course he does he uses metaphors they will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides they will give you trouble in the land where you live what is God who is God talking about people hello beings people right so God is calling the enemies the, these people who are uh, worshiping demons that they, were, they are thorns, they will become thorns in Israel's side or flesh. They will vex and torment them. I'll tell you what, for we got time. Let's go to Joshua 23, 13. Might as well hit these two more. We're almost done. Joshua 23, 13. It's good to know the word. Verse 13, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you. His people didn't listen to God. You'll just see hard, hard hearts in the Old Testament. Oh, amazing the grace of God and how he endured our rebellion. He said, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Figures of speech. Hello. Is this making sense? Come on, are we on the same page here? 
Help me, talk to me here. I want to know you're awake. All right. Until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Judges chapter 2, verse 3. Again, speaking of ungodly people that God's people made a covenant with. You know, when I spend time with people, I want to spend time with people who know God. I'm not just going to go hang out with people who don't know God. I know. Now, now, if there's a purpose in it, there are times I'll purposely do that. But it's not for my own edification. It's a leading of the Lord. Right? The people that I'm going to choose to spend quality time with them have to have the Holy Spirit in them. For me. I'm not going to hang out with barbs and thorns. I'll love them. And I will spend Holy Spirit-led time with them. And that doesn't mean when I'm with them, I'm always talking about Jesus. I'll just, if the Lord's leading me to spend some time with someone, I'll do that. But in terms of my social life, the people I choose to spend time with are people who are running after Jesus. So God in Judges 2, 3, chapter 2, verse 3, speaking of ungodly people that His people made a covenant with. You spend time with ungodly people for your own social interaction, you're going to begin adopting their ideas. There's a difference. Jesus spent time with sinners, but it wasn't to adopt their ideas and get be encouraged. He was being light to them, not pulled down by them, not participating in their ungodly practices. Hello. Judges 2, verse 3. But they shall be thorns in your side. That's right. And their God shall be a snare to you. You get in the picture here. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't make, I don't think I can make it clearer than that. All right? So Paul says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is raising up a barrier of protection in your life. That's the only way Paul could have made it through these things. And boy, did he make it through them. He successfully. He spread the gospel everywhere he went. He ended up going all the way to Rome to Caesar to preach the gospel. He ended up revealing this revelation of the finished work of Christ. We now own copies of it. Most of the New Testament he wrote, he finished his course victoriously. In fact, he was staying in a paid-for villa while he was in Rome. And they let him come and have anyone he want come in and do as he pleased, if you'll read through Acts. Rome was paying for Paul's house. I like that. As he preached the gospel. Hallelujah. He was successful in what he did. He faced opposition, but he went through it, and he came out victoriously. Now, so verse, uh, uh, let's see, Mr. was talking about Jesus. NIV, chapter 9. Chapter 9, NIV says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, my inability to produce these results, right? So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I come up against something I know I can't overcome, His strength shows up. So I delight in any challenge that I'm faced with because I know He's the strength of my life and His grace is raising up a barrier in my life to cause me to overcome. 
As you're cultivating this attitude of adoring the Father, cultivate this attitude, this response to challenges with worship. To consider it an opportunity to praise Him. I'm so serious. I mean, I am telling you, something comes your way that looks like a difficulty or, or a challenge or something you can't handle, begin to worship God. And say, Father, thank you for victory in this situation. Lord, I worship you. Your grace is sufficient for me. You are raising me up. You are moving me forward. You're causing all things to work out for my good. Don't even give that challenge any thought time in your mind. Let praise time kick in. Isn't that what James 1-2, I call it the old 1-2? Right? James 1-2, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face pressures of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, right? Count it all joy. This is an opportunity for me to move forward in Christ. Not because God's causing it. Not because God brought it about, but, but, but the, the, you know, the, Satan has schemes that are against us, but God is greater. And I've got the victory because he's my father. And I'm living in an unshakable kingdom. So Satan, your little challenge just can't, can't, can't stack up against the goodness of my father. So you may as well just go because I've got the victory. Hallelujah. Now, if you know the scriptures, you'll know that Paul was a humble man. How do we know that? What does Proverbs 16, 18 say? I don't know if we have that up there. No, I'll read it to you. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So if Paul was prideful like many teach, Satan would have left him alone. Come on, Bible students. Why would he have left him alone? Well, I don't do anything. He's going to crash. If Paul was prideful, Satan would say, oh, good, you go, Paul. You just go, you be prideful, right? So it wasn't God trying, God was, God's plan was to exalt the ministry of Paul, right? To exalt the ministry. God wants to exalt you. I know I'd get, I'd get kicked out for saying that in a lot of circles, but I'm going to read you a scripture. So you see that we know Paul was not prideful because Satan was after him. Pride is Satan's territory, right? right. Satan could not stop God from exalting Paul. He couldn't do it. He couldn't stop God from exalting Paul's ministry. Now, do you want to know how God instructs us in humility? Do you want to know God's method of of humbling? Last scripture, we'll close. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is how God instructs us to humble ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. How do we do that? Keep reading. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. That is godly humility. To cast my cares on him. This is what Paul had to learn to do. And boy, did he have cares. Didn't he talk about the cares of the churches? Right? This is how God trains us to humble. He exhorts us to humble ourselves by casting our cares on him. Why does it say the mighty hand of God? Because he can handle what you're dealing with. 
You need to know that He's mighty to save. That He's mighty to deliver. That He's mightier than anything you've ever faced or will face. So I humble myself under His mighty hand by giving my cares to Him and worshiping Him. That's a whole different picture from the things I've heard. Right? Does that clear things up? You're going to need to hear this again. So listen to it again. Get a clear picture of God so that He can, he can move you forward. So that He can lift you up. Didn't verse 7 say, casting all your cares on Him, for He cares for you? End of verse 6, that He may exalt you in due time. So if you're going to carry your cares, God can't move in your life. So much of this is real humility. If I'm carrying my cares, I think I'm the one that's going to fix them. Right? And what is that? P-ride. Right? That's exactly what it is. I think I'm mightier than God. Right? I'll take care of this. I'm going to be miserable and complain. And... But I'll take care of it. I'll fix it. You can't. Humble yourself and give it to God. Let his mighty hand go to work on your behalf. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for new life in you. Lord, we're so, God, we're so, we're so glad and thankful that you're light. That you're life. There's no darkness in you. There's no abuse in you. There's no perversion in you. You sent your son to bear our sicknesses and carry our diseases and to, to, to take the whole curse of sin and all the garbage that went with it. He became that on the cross for us. You will never put that on your children. You will never put that on a person. You put it on your son. So Lord, we come before you with open hearts, free from fear, knowing you'll never hurt us, that your mighty hand is our protection your mighty hand works on our behalf. And Lord, we cast our cares on you. Every one of them. No matter what, no matter how responsible or how many times we've made the same mistake, we cast it on you. We're going to stop trying to be better. And we're going to let you be God in our lives. We give it all to you. Your grace is more than enough for us. Your grace is the power to walk in victory in this lifetime. And we thank you, Lord God. Any area where we may be weak, you are strong. And we rejoice in those areas because your strength shows up. Thank you for transforming us today. And all this week and all this month, for this year of transformation. In Jesus' name. God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of His goodness, who He is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.us and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life He came to give you.